Welcome to the pod version of the Movement videocast. I am your teacher and your host, Linus Johansson. You'll find this videocast on movedo.com. That's M-O-V-D-O-O.com. Let's start the episode. All right. The human foot is built up out of 26 different bones. And where there is one very special bone in the foot that we will get back to, which is the tail's bone, the only bone in the human form that isn't attached to any muscles. And these 26 bones, they both build up the very form together with all the myofascial structures of the foot, but they are also uh, uh, the main feature, the main part of this foundation that brings the movement into the foot. The movement that then brings up the movement into the entire system. And I'll explain to you in this episode how the foot is extremely connected to the rest of the body. Not saying that anything else isn't connected because it's extremely connected, everything. But I'll show you and you'll understand how the very movement of a foot can translate up into the human form. And also you'll understand that if there's a lack of movement, uh, dysfunction in the foot, how that will also affect the human form and making us make uh, compensatory patterns that we're not supposed to be doing in our knees or in our hips or in our back or in our thoracics and so on. So the foot has a very direct connection up into the movement system and we'll explore that and dig deeper into that. But let's uh, rewind first and just look at the human form uh, and really uh, just see what we're actually, what we actually are. And the thing is that we stand out from all other mammals on the planet by the fact that we're habitually walking and living, standing, working, existing on two legs. All other mammals live and exist on four legs. Sure, the primates or the monkeys, they can function on their hind legs, but they rather not. And they use their hands more for moving forward in relation to what we actually do. You do not use your hands very often into the ground to take yourself forward or you know, hanging in a tree, throwing from branch to branch. They do. So their arms uh, are still very connected to movement or to moving forward, really. Our hands and arms are also connected to, to movement in that, in that sense that we, we swing them very um, uh, clearly when we walk or when we run. If you tie your arms to your torso, it's it's difficult to walk or run, so they are sure they are, are a part of our gait. So there's no discussion there. But you do not load your upper part of your body through gravity when you propel forward. 
instead you do it with your two legs that you stand on and for any given reason really we came up on two legs and we can discuss this how much you want to but but the fact stands <laughs> we stand on our two legs and there's not much to do about it more than accept it and appreciate it and we can discuss how we ended up here it's through evolution nonetheless and one of the more interesting theories that I've connected to is the one that Daniel E. Lieberman presents uh, in his book uh, The Story of the Human Body and there it's clear in his theory that we developed the ability to stand on our two legs to become more efficient when walking on the face of the earth through gravity because it is more energy efficient to be walking on two legs than instead of four legs so if we buy into that theory that it's all about energy efficiency then we can also connect that into the idea that the foot is designed if you want to to make us extremely energy efficient so the foot has the capability to send biomechanical rhythms of movements up through our body to really let the other parts of us be more successful when we move and that happened through the that happens through the foot in two very specific movements which is pronation and supination so saying supination is more describing a static position which is actually having that neutral foot with that you know slight high arch which is something that um, if we think of the optimal body quote unquote that do not exist that body would have had that small supination in the foot those you know rather uh, great arches and that's why we describe pronation to being a movement and supination to be more a static form and I will use the term resupination instead which means back to supination because what happens when you walk or run and your foot hits the ground it's supposed to go into the movement of pronation and I will get back to more specifically how that movement is um, is done what what should really happen in the foot when we pronate and when the foot has pronated your uh, body weight shifts that that biomechanical rhythm goes up through your body and your body travels over the foot that is sitting on the ground the foot should be transformed into a supinated state that is going back to being resupinated and passing onwards by that that neutral arch and going into more extreme higher arch and really become this springboard for you to bounce off on depending not only if you walk or run it should happen 
every time you do it, more or less. More so when you run, less so when you walk, but still being this springboard that you should bounce off, really. So, when I work with a person, I need to understand how their entire system works, because I'm a physiotherapist, and they come to me with any question, really, uh, regarding pain or movement. But as I believe that everything is connected, and if it happens somewhere, it happens everywhere in the system, I always view and look at the entire body. And I start from the feet, and I walk all the way up. And that's even if you come to me with a shoulder pain. Because somehow that shoulder is connected down to your feet. And if you've been living a long life, you've been working hard, you've been through accidents, you've been through psychological traumas perhaps, everything gets into your body and somehow affects you. If you've been walking in too, too good looking, in too tight shoes or in heavy shoes, if you're a construction worker and you're with protection and stuff, your feet will have been compromised. Almost, there's not a foot out there that isn't compromised in one or the other way because the way we live our life really doesn't set the feet free. It compromises and, and that compromise really affects the entire system. So I never uh, overlook anything when I work with a person. So the feet are, is the first place I go to, to see, do they work as they should? Are they capable and able to, to do their bit in this entire movement system? If they are, fine, then they're a resource. And we'll look into it in the second part of this video course, how you can test and how you can view and monitor if a foot is really moving as it should. And if they are, then they become a resource. And actually, there is a lot of feet out there that, 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 that works more or less as they should, although they've been compromised. There's not too many of them, but there are, they are out there. Uh, most of the feet that comes walking into my clinic on the other, uh, and they're, they're, they don't really move that well. So starting off in the feet, making sure that they move as they should, that really builds the first part of the foundation to develop a person. Because if I just jump straight on to, quote-unquote, the problem that they present to me, I might end up, you know, just, just easing symptoms and not finding the source that creates this pain or this, this dysfunctional lack of movement or whatever they describe. So hitting the feet first, looking to see that they can move as they should is the first priority. And when I've created that foundation, got the feet to move, not perfect, but start to move, then I can work my way up through the body. If it's, you know, knee problems that they describe, then the next stop, the next station really 
the knee and from there on it's the hip and from there on there's the pelvis and from there on there's the spine and from the spine there's the thoracics the rib cage and on that you know rests the the uh, the arms with the shoulder blades and on top of all that comes the neck and the head so i really go all the way i go the distance to make sure that I want this person to develop fully and to be able and to be capable to handle movement and their own wishes to do so. And if I can create this, this foundation that we can, you know, thrust from, then perhaps they also can contribute to this by starting to move more and move better and together we sit down in the boat and take the whole ship forward so it's for me it's it's never about a part of the body or an area of the body it's always the entire system but when you address the entire system you can't do it at once oh you perhaps you can but i can't and I don't work that way. I work systematically with the system from the feet and upwards. And I set the person in relation to this, uh, this optimal body, that, that, there, there is, uh, that utopic body that doesn't exist. But that body that I want to take that person towards, that I want to develop them as close to that body as possible. Although I know they can't get all the way, but a bit of the way is could be good enough. That could lessen the pain to a degree that they, they are pleased with that. Uh, or that can develop their movement so they can run faster or lift more or just, you know, exist without any hindrance in their ordinary life. So... Therefore, I had to look at the body in areas because I can't do everything at once. And first up, first station, first stop, first halt is always the feet for me. And, the, and why that is, is also because they do very often uh, contain a lot of potential for development. <laughs> Uh, the most feet, as I've said out there, have the potential to be able to move better, to move more freely, to 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 create uh, that or contribute really to that biomechanical rhythm that should happen when you walk. And then there always the the, the question arises that that all right, yeah, but you you keep getting back to the gate and to the walk and all that stuff, but if a person don't really express that they have a problem with walking or running, they're having a back issue or a shoulder pain, and that has nothing to do with walking. That, that doesn't happen when they walk. That happens when perhaps they, you know, lie on the side in the bed. It doesn't matter. Because, listen, you always have to rewind and ask yourself, what came first? What was the foundation? What was that thing you were talking about and addressing based on, built from? So, 
almost every movement that you can do, especially when it comes to exercise or skill, you know, whacking a nail into a wall or a, a ceiling or, you know, bicycling or, or deadlifting heavy stuff. You've been taught that but, uh, from, uh, by someone. Someone showed you how to do it. The basic stuff your parents showed you. Perhaps you've been on a deadlifting course to be able to learn how to brace and how to, you know, all that stuff. But there's one thing that no one taught you, that you taught yourself. And that is putting one foot in front of the other and repeat. Hopefully you don't have to go to, to walking school to learn that stuff. That's something that you learned when you came out from your mother and that, you know, that anti-gravity container that she was for you uh, through nine months. You were sent in out to the harsh world and there's one thing that grabbed hold of you and said, hello, it's you and me now for the rest of your life. And that something is gravity. Gravity pulled you down, or rather pushed you up, any way you like it. But the fact stands, you came to this world, gravity got a hold of you, and what happened first is that you started to work in gravity. You started to roll, you started to lift that giant head you had. You started to come up on all four, finding your coordination, finding your balance, finding your strength. Strength and from that you came up in standing finding your balance and from that you came and you took your first step You taught yourself how to walk through gravity Nobody else did and based on that fact that you can take any kid anywhere and they'll do the same journey Any other given movement is really based on culture if you think about it there are things we do in this part of the world that no one else does in some other part of the world and vice versa, right? So movements and what we do and how we do them are really a cultural thing. But common for all human beings is that we taught, we taught ourselves to walk. This book is all about walking. And the, the idea that, uh, that that is the foundation of each and every other movement out there. So, if that is a fact, then it must mean that each and every movement that you can do, even if it's, you know, pushing over your head or pulling or grabbing or whatever it is, the very foundation of that is the, the gate. The ability to put one foot in front of the other and repeat. That is the very foundation. And if you can see, understand and work with that foundation, then you can really build a big platform that a person can develop from. And sure, then we'll go into specific movements if it is deadlifting or if it's pushing or if it's throwing. Uh, you know, I work with sport people. Uh, hurdling and running and stuff like that we worked very very specific with the parts of that but we didn't go there before we actually had developed the ability or the trust 
in the entire system until I've seen, all right, how is it all connected? How, how does the feet connect to the rest of the body and rest of the body down to the feet? All right, I can see where we need to develop this person. We're working on that. Fine, we've reached so far. Now we connect that into those specific movements. Sure, working with an athlete, you can do it 100 times over because they are willing and able. Take any weekend warrior, you know, any, any, any other person out there, they want a quick fix. They want to have it done now if they're in pain or if they lack function. So then you perhaps have to boil it down to three times. And, you know, they don't have as high expectations even perhaps as an athlete that is, you know, aiming for, for the, uh, to be able to compete and, and win. As long as, you know, you can handle your everyday life. Most of us, without pain and good quality and function, most of us are happy. All right. So that is, just to conclude a bit, my foundation, uh, how I see it and how I think of it. The ability to stand on our two feet is from the evolutionary perspective that we are more energy efficient doing so, walking forwards. So, and if that's the truth, then we are built to do more or less just one movement, and that is putting one foot in front of the other. We can skip every other movement, you know, taking your hand to your mouth, eating and walking. That's more or less everything you need if you were to be able to live in mother nature and you don't have to drive a car or lift dumbbells or, you know, tinker with small things. So if that is true, then seeing and understanding how the feet through the gate connects up into the body is a great way to help a person develop to be able to move better and even lessen the pain. So let's get back to the two movements of pronation and resupination. So uh, <laughs> I'll hold you to this. Just focus now because this could be a bit um, challenging if you haven't been into this territory of seeing and thinking of movement before. So the easiest way is to divide the foot into two areas, the back foot and the front foot really. So the back foot it would be the calcaneus and the talus bone and the front foot would be everything else, all the metatarsals and you know the mid bones of the foot, all that is the rest. To just to make it even more uh, simplified. So what happens when we walk is that everything happens at the same time. But to be able to understand it, we had to divide it into three planes of movement. And we have the sagittal plane, we have the transverse plane, and we have the frontal plane. And I'll describe the movement of the internal relationships in the foot using these three planes of motion but at the same time saying that those three planes of motion, they don't exist because a movement never occurs just in one plane. It always occurs in all three planes. But we are actually not capable of seeing and understanding all three planes at the same time. It's too much for 
for us to grasp and to understand. So we have to divide it to understand it, but we can accept that when it happens, everything happens at the same time. I can't see that, so I divide it up, not letting go of that fact that it's like that, all right? So let's start in the sagittal plane. That would be seeing a person from the side. Uh, and in the video cast, I can show you images, but if you listen in the podcast, you have to use your imagination to see this. So imagine you see a foot from the side, right? We have this optimal foot. It has this, this perfect little arch, uh, and the, the back foot is resting on the ground, and the front foot, the front part of the front foot is really resting also on the ground. What happens when the foot hits the ground is that we see a movement of opposition. The movement of opposition is really neat and it's important to understand because that happens in many places in the body but especially in the foot. And if we understand that idea of movement, then we see more movement. And I'll come back to that in a minute. So when the foot hits the ground or the floor and goes into pronation, the back foot should tilt forward in relation to the front foot. That should tilt backward. So if you can see that arch in front of you, actually the back foot tilts forward and the front foot in relation to the back foot tilts backwards to be able to lessen that arch, right? So we got the movement of opposition. When one structure moves in one way, the other has to move in the opposite way or else there won't be this movement. The rear foot cannot move forward and the front foot stay put because then the foot would break in two, two bits. So the front foot has to tilt backwards to be able to get this lengthening under the foot. And why that is important, I'll also come back to in a minute. So that is what happens in the sagittal plane when the foot goes into pronation. What happens in the frontal plane, and now you can imagine you seeing a person from, not from the front side, from the back side, because we want to see the heel bone. And what happens is that when the foot pronates, the heel bone tilts inwards, towards the middle of the body. Here comes the strange part of it. It looks like the front foot would be still on the ground when the rear foot tilts inwards. Which, is, which it is in relation to the ground. But we do not relate movement to the surrounding areas. We interrelate, we relate to the different body parts that moves in relation to each other. So actually what happens is that the front foot tilts outwards in relation to the back foot that tilts inwards. So you get that movement of opposition as well. And here comes that bit that I talked about earlier. You don't see a movement of the front foot because it only looks like the back foot is tilting inwards. But actually, in relation to the back foot, the front foot has tilted outwards, which means 
which means that there has been a movement, although you haven't seen it. So how on earth could that be of any help? Because when you're going into the part of intervention, perhaps tilting the rear foot outwards isn't that thing that will help. It perhaps is tilting the front foot inwards that it will be the solution for the person. And here comes that thing also. Uh, when you work with a, a person or the body really and see it in a systematic way, what happens is that the logic starts first when you understand the theory, you've practiced it on the person and then it comes back to the theory and it goes to the practice part again. It's really tricky, I know, to be hearing someone saying that a movement occurs that you can't see. That is, if the rear foot tilts inwards, then the front foot has tilted outwards, but it hasn't moved. No, it hasn't moved in relation to the ground, but it has moved in relation to the back foot. Because movements can, if they are in opposition, both movements can be described, right? So if I'm showing my hands now, if that movement occurs with my hand tilting outwards, that means that a relationship has shifted between my two hands. And if I keep now that relationship and I do what you believe is neutral, is saying putting that hand that tilted up again, constraining that relationship with the other hand, you can actually see that that hand is now tilting the other way because if you keep that relationship, both those movements has happened. We explain this in great detail in the book. And the idea of movements of opposition and this idea of interrelative movement is, I would say, the most important thing to grasp, to see, and to be able to, to implement in your uh, uh, work with a person. Because seeing that, that opens so much for you. Just by me saying that if that hand tilts outwards, that means that that hand has tilted inwards, but it hasn't moved. Yes, it has in relation to the other hand, which means that when I lay the person down on the bench, the relationship alters and all of a sudden I see the other structure tilted on the other way. If I've taken this structure and I moved it, that would only have increased that relationship. But if I take the other structure towards the opposite direction, then they will come into this more optimal relationship where they can move in greater distances and create more range of motion through that create a more balanced biomechanical rhythm up through the body so yes i know this is tricky like crazy and listening to it in a podcast could make you know getting a headache just hearing this stuff seeing this video cast perhaps a bit more easy when you see uh, the images that i also display here but Bear with me, in the second part of this video course, you, I will get into more detail on this and you can actually feel it and test it in your body. 
and perhaps it's easier to understand. So we've been through the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, we got the transverse plane left. And imagine you see a foot from above. So you see the toes pointing one way and the heel pointing the other way. When the foot goes into pronation, the back foot rotates inwards. And what is inwards and what is outwards and all these directions. <laughs> that is also explained in the book, by the way. So, but what we can do to, to just to, uh, to explain this is if you speak of a structure, you can uh, make it into a theoretical box. And a box has a front side and a top side. And we describe movements orientated by that front side and the top side of that imaginary box. So saying that the rear foot, which was the calcaneus and the talus bone, create a box of that. Then the top of the talus bone becomes the top and the front really of the calcaneus becomes the front of the box. So if there's an arrow pointing out from the front of the box and an arrow pointing upwards from the top of the box and we move that box all of a sudden you can set that movement in relation to another box that is in front of or in relation to that first box and in this case it's the front foot so when the foot pronates it the back foot rotate inward so the front of the uh, back foot points towards the middle of the body what happens, of course, is that the movement of opposition occurs and we describe that as the front foot rotating outwards in relation to the back foot. Once again, the movement may not be visually happening and especially not in relation to the room, but in relation to the back foot, it happens. All right, are you with me? <laughs> So, and this was just the movement of pronation happening in all these three movement planes, happening at the same time. You know, imagining me trying to explain that. It, you, you can't even put words on what happens because it, it, you know, it multiplies in the complexity at once as soon as you start. And, you, you know, I will be talking all day. So, cutting it down to these three movement planes makes it easier easier and wrong because it doesn't move like that but if we can accept that we can work with it and what happens always is that we are not intelligent or clever enough to see and describe this the fantastic things that happen happens in our bodies so what we have to do is just to to try and make it easier to understand by perhaps dividing it into movement planes, but never let go of the idea of the complexity. And just acknowledge that I do not fully understand the complexity and still it's there. So if I can just use tools to describe the complexity, making it less complex, not letting the go of the idea of the complexity, and then set the person into a movement that works towards the complexity based on the things we found that we described less complex. Are you with me on that? So if I see that you know I'm having a hard time making this movement of opposition in that plane, mm, all right, 
how will I then integrate that into a more complex movement that also goes in line with the uh, what I see that the entire system needs and also what the person actually comes and asks for because going back again if someone comes and I saying I've got a shoulder pain and I say I want to look at your feet they go like what I said shoulder pain I don't have any feet problems so you have to explain this for the person that the system is uh, connected in that way so yes this was the movement of pronation so what is the movement of pronation good for it's only set up to be able to resupinate and that's the cool thing with it whatever happens in the body what movement it's always there for the next movement to occur and that movement is there for the next movement to occur so there is never an end to it each movement whatever movement it is in your body is always there to make the next movement more su successful or even possible so it's each movement is made to be serving the next coming movement and it's this is especially a fact when it comes to the movement of pronation because all those things that happens with the back foot tilted forward, the front foot tilted backwards, the back foot tilted inwards, the front foot tilted outwards, the back foot turned or rotated inwards, and the front foot turned outwards, all that creates a rather long, flat and broad foot. And what happens really is that it's it's the most simple thing is to explain it by doing this. So if this is the optimal arch, I, I can't do it upside down, I have to do it like this. So imagine this is the arch of the foot. When I go into the ground with the foot, the entire foot elongates, it, it becomes longer, it becomes stretched out, just to be able to do boom, this again, all right? And, and this is quite a good example. If you go to the gym, you know, stretching out those biceps is the setup to be able to shortening them again, right? And the shortening is the setup to be able to lengthen them again. Are you with me? So that is always the thing. Each movement is a setup for the next movement to come. And what happens is when the foot pronates and get elongated is that the tissue stretches out and if we are truly successful in the gate, each time the foot hits the ground, everything should happen in between 0 0.6, 0 0.8 seconds. So less than a second, everything should happen. Boom! And what happens when things happen that fast is that we get to that quality called fascial recoil. So under our foot is this big plantar fascia that stretches and loads with energy and this is just a small part of the extreme complexity of the foot and the entire system we'll have to talk about it in bits and pieces sometimes so it stretches just to be able to recoil again and to create that high arch that springboard push that pushes us forward even if it's just a, a stroll or if it's running like a madman it doesn't really matter. Same thing happens, just more or less of it. All right? So, 
everything that happens in the pronation is also the exact opposite of everything that happens in the resupination. And everything that happens in the pronation is there to load the tissues, to stretch them, to elongate them, to put the bones in that relationship and create also loads up the body. And I'll, I'll show you examples of this in a minute. To be able to contract, because the pro pronated state is really in state of elongation, most part of the body at least. And that state of elongation is made to be able to make a, both um, a actual muscular contraction, but also and foremost a fascial contraction. That that rubber band effect. You stretch out the rubber band, you let go, it goes nah, it goes back, it recoils back. Your form, your very being through your myofascial. Uh, system is like a very very complex and very very intelligent rubber band and that rubber band is uh, a big part of you being extremely extremely energy efficient when you move and what happens is that the pronation sets it all up perfectly to be able to fashionally recoil boom and just sail through that next step through the gate into the resupinated state. In the uh, in the second part, we will test all this and look at it. But the and we will do this in front of the body. But in fact, you you can never uh, resupinate functionally resupinate uh, in front of the body. Everything just when the foot hits the ground, the 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 foot is in front of the body, and when the body has transport itself over the foot and it's time for the state of resupination again then you could say that the foot is behind the body or the body is in front of the foot any way you like it and that's where the true resupination has happened so but we'll look into this and what happens is of course the complete opposite so let's take it back to the three movement planes again so in the sagittal plane, which is seeing a foot from the side, and we supinate the back foot tilts backwards. And in relation to that, the front foot tilts forwards. And if you can see that uh, in front of you, that actually shortens the distance between the base of these two structures, creating a higher arch. That is the contraction of everything in, on the underside of the foot, because everything on the overside of the foot becomes longer. Um, and in the frontal plane, the back foot tilts outwards and the front foot tilts inwards. And in the transverse plane, the back foot rotates outwards and the front foot rotates inwards. So it's the exact opposite of it. So if you know i just mess with your head right now with back and forth and tilt and in and out and so on and so forth you can read it slowly and softly read it over over and over again in our book of course so that is really the two basic functions of the foot the movement of pronation and the movement of resupination what happens is there's 
tons and tons of complexity. We cannot understand it, so we have to lessen the complexity, talk of things that doesn't exist, but that our mind can really cope with, and that we have actually a language to attach to. Uh, so, seeing the movements of opposition, that if one structure moves in one way, the other must move in the opposite way, is the first. And understanding that this is the movement of interrelationships, which means that you know one structure could look not to move at all in relationship to the room, to the floor, to the wall, whatever, but if if it's connected to something and that something moves we can describe that as movement also of the other part as that is an interrelative movement why that is important is because when we test a person and when we work with an intervention that could be the key that unlocks it all but if we only see actual movement that happens in relation to the room I wouldn't say that you're doomed to fail, but you know, you've minimized your options extremely. But if you see the interrelative movements, then all of a sudden the options are many more. <laughs> all right, so this is the very foundation of the foot. It's meant to set up all the other movements that comes into our body that we can do. The gait is in the perspective I use, the very foundation for each and every movement that you can do. So sort out the foot, sort out the gait, then start to sort out the other stuff and you will be much more successful. The foot is designed, designed to do the movement of pronation and resupination that could be described as the movement of opposition and we always look for the interrelative movements between structures to describe what has happened or has not happened and if it has not happened then that's our place, that's where we go, that's where we work, that's where we create the intervention, that's where we integrate movement and from that we integrate that movement up towards the biomechanical rhythm up into the movement change chains into the rest of the body and we de develop a person from that idea. That's really movement integration for you and that's the thing that I work with and this is movement integration also in relation to the feet. All right, I hope you found this interesting and that you at least got one or two bits out of this. In part two, we will look closer into the actual movements and how that relates up into the rest of the body.